Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution. Stay tuned as we parse through the weekly decisions being made by our political leaders that impact the Black community. You ready? Let's do it. On this week's episode, we discuss Bill Morneau's departure, Christian Freeland's ascension, Justin Trudeau's prorogation of parliament, the Conservatives' leadership campaign, falling rent in the six, Canada's social safety net, the U.S. election and its impact on other regions like Africa, Megan the Stallion and that loser from Brampton, Masai's triumph, and more. So Morno's out. And Canada's first female and very capable finance minister, Christia Freeland, is in. Mm-hmm. Did you see it coming? I knew that someone had to take the fall for all of the scandals that have been happening. So, yeah, I, I kind of felt something was coming. How about you? Yeah, um... You know, on the one hand, I was, I, you know, I said it before, I'm not really paying attention to the scandal because it is, it's, it's a distraction from what's more important. But with the people that I've been speaking to, it's like, yeah, somebody had to fall, Morneau had to go, and here we are. So to shut the circus down and put it all behind us, Trudeau has prorogued Parliament, which many people probably think of as a bad word. Now, proroguing is a stoppage of government. It's a practice that can be traced back to our British colonizers, whose monarchy once used the tool to upend parliamentary sessions when they felt their control over the country was slipping too far into the hands of parliament. Proroguing ends a session of parliament and is a fairly routine function of the constitution. That's true. By ending a session of parliament, the government can reset its priorities and set out a new agenda and introduce new bills for consideration in the House. Some experts argue that the government's priorities may have shifted since it came to power, which makes a lot of sense, right? Think of how much disruption COVID-19 has caused. But I'm going to be real. Historically, proroguing has been a tool of political convenience that minority governments have used in the midst of scandal, or to avoid losing on a confidence vote like everyone accused Stephen Harper of doing with his prorogation in 2008 in the midst of the financial crisis, or Jean Chrétien did in 2003 to avoid the tabling of the Auditor General's report on the sponsorship scandal. I mean, when we compare JT's prorogation of Parliament to recent prime ministers, this is how things look. Brian Mulroney prorogued three times in nearly nine years. Jean Chrétien prorogued four times in just over 10 years. Stephen Harper did it four times in about seven and a half years, and now Trudeau has done it once in almost five years. Here's another analysis I found. Most prorogations include both sitting and non-sitting days. Parliament was only scheduled to sit for three of these 35 days, So what this prorogation does is stop the bills in progress, which will have to be reinstated, and committee work, notably the one looking into the WeCharity. So uh, that's that. 
And it may not be over, but listen, so long as my guy JT keeps his promise to come back at the end of the summer with concrete solutions to combat anti-Black racism, and so long as he continues what I'm seeing as the biggest redirection of wealth in a generation to individuals, I don't care what political movers. I'm always looking at the bigger picture. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I think the the best part about this this series of announcements is that Christian Freeland is the finance minister. Let's not overshadow that enormous move, both because she is a woman and she is the first woman to, to hold that position, but also because it's Christian Freeland who literally wrote the book, right? You, you've said this to me, Curtis. She wrote the book yep. on maintaining the middle class and moving money from the more wealthy holders of it to the people. So th- this, is, this is really, really good stuff. It is. And to put into perspective, just for context, she was the very first person that Justin Trudeau picked to be on his team. And it's specifically because he found her to be so in line with what Barack Obama was doing in the United States at that time, which is moving a heavier focus on middle class politics and improving life for those in the middle class. Right. So, yeah, she'll definitely be a good ally to us moving forward. The Conservatives are electing their new leader this week. Uh, most Black Canadians don't vote Conservative, but there are some who do. And quite frankly, yours truly used to be a part of that fold. <laughs> For real? <laughs> yes, ma'am. I used to be a Stephen Harper Conservative, no less, for six years until I realized that Conservative policies would never really help people who look like me unless we had money. And especially since 69% of their voters don't like immigration from non-white countries, which of course is white supremacy, so that just isn't the party for me. But I kind of wanted to know about you, Patience. Do you have any conservative stances on anything at all? I am interested in the ideas behind smaller government. I do find that to be one of the most convincing aspects of the conservatives and and their kind of fundamental beliefs that the larger the government, the more likely that, you know, you'll get into corruption and, you know, folks in the government doing favors for folks outside the government. But other than that, nah. Yeah. What about Um, you? (laughs) For me, it's like, I believe in a strong military. You know, while I believe it's possible for humanity to evolve to a place where we no longer fight each other, I'm also a realist. And right now there are countries that are actively actively wanting to destroy, own, or otherwise disrupt the world order, and we just can't have that. And Mans grew up Pentecostal Christian like Dr. Leslie Lewis, too, so Mans were socially conservative, you feel me? Tamika teases me all the time that if I was still like that, we couldn't be, just couldn't be. I also believe in capitalism, but to the extent that we can fix it by heavily regulating it so it works for more people and not just a few at the top. But of course, that's where conservatives start to say, whoa, 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 hold your horses, regulations? No, no, no. We Kind of like what you were just saying, patients. We want that smaller government. We want freedom to do whatever we want. And to be honest, I can't advise with that because we see the negativity, the violence, the disruption that that leads to for everybody else who doesn't actually own anything. Anyway, bad news for them. Interestingly, despite a very close race, 52% of Canadians say they approve of the performance of the Liberal government under the leadership of Justin Trudeau. While this is down from the highs of the 70-plus era in the midst of the lockdown earlier this year, these are historically still very strong approval ratings, particularly for a second-term prime minister 
in a minority situation. You know, today, the day that we are recording this podcast, Sunday, August 23rd, is the, the day that a new conservative leader will be selected. And I think who that leader is will determine how that approval rating changes. Uh, we, we, we know that, you know, Dr. Leslie Lewis, our Black candidate, has certainly diversified the run for leadership in the, in the conservative party from all white men to, you know, 25% um, <laughs> black and 25% female in terms of the, the forerunners of it. But we, we, we know that, that it's, it's very unlikely that she's going to, to win that race. But I think it's great to see that the liberals have so much confidence from, from the, the greater public and that we'll, we'll see what happens with the conservatives. But, but like we said, they, they, don't, they don't care about us. So it yeah. doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll see what they end up doing. Speaking of the conservatives, Justin Trudeau did give them a big gift by proroguing parliament. So will the opposition be able to turn it into their advantage? Honestly, I don't think so. I mean, while the government took a hit on the Wee scandal, its poll numbers are beginning to rebound. Plus, after Morneau's resignation, many observers were quite happy with Freeland becoming finance minister. There's also the reality that shitting on JT didn't work in the last election, so it likely won't work now, especially when the majority of Canadians are happy with his response to the pandemic. Chances of success seem slim for the Conservatives, especially since Ontario, Quebec, and Atlantic Canada, all important regions for electoral success, still favor liberal rule. In Ontario, the Liberals still have a six-point advantage, plus Doug Ford has heaped a lot of praise on the deputy PM in particular, meaning he's likely to continue supporting their plans because, in effect, they help his re-election prospects too. And the context there is that uh, research shows that uh, the Ontario PCs do well. They always have done well when there's been a liberal government in Ottawa. In Quebec, the Conservatives trail a distant third behind the bloc, which is second to the Liberals. This won't change with the new Conservative leader as neither of the likely winners speak respectable French, nor do either of the main contenders have plans that are in sync with Quebec values, namely around the environment and climate change and social issues. And then there's the Atlantic, where the cons literally have half the support that the Liberals have, 49% to 25, and that likely won't change anytime soon. So uh, will they form government? I don't think so, but we'll see. Moving to the economy, how's rent in the six? It's falling. (laughs) Looks like the economic uncertainty caused by COVID has turned Toronto's rental market upside down, which is real, real good news for renters. And this is all about power, right? So the power that was once wielded exclusively by landlords has been passed to their would-be tenants, giving renters the chance to negotiate lower prices and bigger perks. Gordy Dent, executive director of the Federation of Metro Tenants Association, says the market has been flooded with rental units previously used as Airbnbs or occupied by people who have since moved in with parents or friends to save money. International students returning home have likely contributed to this dynamic as well. According to a report this month by the online brokerage Zucasa, the number of rental condos listed in TO spiked 45% in Q2 of 2020 compared to the same time in 2019. Downtown TO is even more wild, where vacancy grew a whole ass 80%. At the same time, the average condo rental price across the city dropped by 6% over 2019, as the number of condos leased 
declined by 25% in the same period. William Blake, a landlord and member of the Ontario Landlords Association, is cool with the ship rendering him with less power. Can you believe that? He says, let's face it, landlords have been having a very solid, strong market. We've had the advantage over the past 10 years especially, but tenants now have higher expectations. They can shop around, so landlords have to take that extra step to make sure their place stands out. So if you're looking for a new spot, take that search seriously. You may just find your dream home. So I think a lot of people are really happy to hear that serve has been extended for another month until the end of September, um, that EI is being strengthened, and that the new programs are being created to help gig workers who don't have access to EI. This is one of the fundamental reasons why I vote liberal. While fiscal prudence is still top of mind, liberal governments are more willing to spend money to help those who need support, far more than any conservative government. And by the way, I'm leaving the NDP out of this dichotomy because the reality is they've never won federally and they don't have the chance so long as the Liberal Party is strong and competitive, which it currently is. Anyway, here's to what Canada's new social safety net will look like for workers for at least the next year thanks to COVID. First, anyone getting served now will have access for an extra month. After that, anyone eligible for the new EI will get a minimum payment of 400 a week for at least 26 weeks. We simply need to have worked 120 hours at any time in the last year to qualify. That's like three weeks, well below current EI requirements since many of us haven't been able to work thanks to COVID. There's also the new Canada Recovery Benefit, which is aimed at folks like you and me patients in the gig economy that don't have access to EI. It'll provide 400 bucks a week for up to 26 weeks or roughly six months. Recipients will have an obligation to be available for work and look for employment while on the benefit, which is totally reasonable. And get this, recipients will be able to earn up to $38,000 in annual net income from employment or self-employment while receiving payments. Beyond that threshold, we'll have to repay 50 cents for every additional dollar like EI recipients need to do when working and still getting EI payments. So this is all a done deal? I, I honestly, so there's concern that the new measures won't pass a confidence vote in September, but the government is also saying that the measures can be adopted through regulation rather than legislation. So I don't know. We'll see how this plays out next month. Ultimately, though, this is progress. People will be made secure once again, so the opposition better not get in the way. Moving to talking about an unlikely bromance, Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau are working together and the benefits are showing. This week, both leaders announced more than $23 million in funding for 3M's $70 million plan to manufacture the respirator masks in Brockville. As you guys may recall, Ford in particular was pretty rattled after dumbass Trump tried to invoke the Defense Production Act to restrict exports of pandemic fighting supplies since his supporters, also dumbasses, think only the U.S. matters. America first! Yeah, anyway. Yeah, I know, right? 3M is also putting up $23 million of its own in the five-year deal, which will see it manufacture 50 million respirators annually, starting early next year. The new plant is expected to create 30 jobs in Brockville, including production operators, maintenance techs, process engineers, supervisors, and QA professionals. So it's a good, it's a good look. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Patience, what's happening in the world, fam? You always get your eye, uh, you always get your eye on where, where, where you're traveling next. What's going on? Yeah, man. I mean, we're going to keep talking about the U.S. election because it is kind of coming up quickly. I'm sure many of you heard about the issues with the United States Postal Service. Uh, Lots of people were talking about how mailboxes were disappearing from the corners of streets. Well, it was true, but that has been fixed. Congress just approved $25 billion in funding to ensure all Americans have access to a great postal service through which they can get registered to vote and receive their ballot info through. Then... You know, we've been learning a little bit more about the U.S. election's impact on Africa. Uh, American prestige has always been really, really great on the continent, but it isn't what it once was. With prospects for democracy looking really, really dicey in the United States, coupled with economic troubles and kind of the the deadly incompetence that Trump has shown in in addressing the COVID-19 pandemic, the U.S. has lost much of its former luster and moral standing. Even though America still wields considerable power and influence over the African nations and can still be a powerful check on some of the worst dictators on the continent, really, the incompetence and the disinterest of Trump in Africa has really emboldened some of our our worst African leaders. In countries like Zimbabwe, Tanzania, and most recently Mali, strong men have just been taking over the government and settling right in, looking forward to doing, you know, 10, 20, 30 years in office without having any disruption from America, who's usually, as the global superpower, the one who will check them and tell them to get the heck out of there. It's really interesting to see, um, I mean, we, we've already talked about, I think, in the early days of COVID, how it has made the centralization of power so much easier for certain leaders who have wanted it. In the media, in, the pub- in popular media, we've seen the conversation focus on European leaders. It's funny now to pay attention to what's happening in Africa because that has serious ramifications, not just for the region, but for the world as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Under Trump, there hasn't really been a huge focus on the United States as this kind of democratic leader, as this kind of thought leader in the world. Hopefully, if Biden and Harris are elected, there will be a little bit more attention paid to the unacceptability of what is happening in Africa and really reinforcing the values of of democracy. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of Kamala, who you mentioned earlier, you know, I, I, I took some time this week to have conversations. I mean, I always do this, but this week I had conversations again with, uh, with others about Kamala, um, did some research into her, um, heard the different perspectives, especially from the progressive side of things. Um, and so I wanted to kind of just touch on, um, you know, because there is, there, is, there is a divide 
in the black community, certainly within the community for black women about who is supporting Kamala versus who is not. And I kind of wanted to address that. And, and quite frankly, because I, I was actually pretty, uh, you know, when Kamala was first selected as the VP, I was pretty adamant that she should be supported and I still think so. But I'm also more open now to um, those who rightly state that she needs to be held to account and that we have to, we have to publicly do so even as she ascends. So on the one hand, this is very good for representation, right? There are many, myself included, who saw Obama clinch the Democratic nomination, ultimately become president, and we were deeply moved. I mean, partially because we saw that we could finally achieve those heights too. But on the other hand, many, Black women in particular, as I mentioned before, are frustrated because of her record as a prosecutor, her refusal to investigate or prosecute police officers, which is a big problem right now, her fight to uphold wrongful convictions, also another big problem, her support of the death penalty as attorney general, and the list kind of goes on. Human rights lawyer, abolitionist, and columnist for The Guardian, Derricka Purnell, framed it well. She said, it's unfortunate that you have to protect someone because of their identity and against this notion that their hands are going to be tied because they're a person of color or black or a woman or a child of immigrants, while at the same time, if you care about the masses of black people, the masses of poor people, the masses of immigrants in the United States, you know that you have to speak truth and be honest about her record and be critical, and that of Biden, and be critical of them in a public spotlight. So that's what we have to navigate right now. Just thought I'd leave you guys with that thought. Now, every week we like to have our segment where we focus on black news in particular. So patience, what's going on, man? Well, Curtis, have you heard about incidents across the city where women have been picked up at the side of the street and men have been attempting to, to take them to secondary locations? Have you heard about this? I have. It's disgusting and it's, uh, it's very concerning. Sexual harassment and sexual assaults and attempted kidnappings are real and are happening to women all over the GTA. Saturday night, there was a Take Back the Night rally to raise awareness. There have been Black victims and Black attempted victims, or almost victims. And I realized that we on, here on The Drip haven't spoken much about the relationship between COVID-19 and sexual harassment, particularly as it affects um, Black people, Black women. With no strip clubs and no kind of, you know, prostitutes or, or other ways that, that, that men traditionally, um, that, sorry, that some men traditionally um, found, you know, women and, and made, made those relationships, uh, nightclubs as well. Men are trying to find women elsewhere, even if women don't consent. It's really a, a scary thing. And, and connected to this issue of sexual harassment and sexual assault is that the fact that women don't report these things, right? Yeah. Um, within the black community, there are issues. We, we speak about this almost every week. There are issues with the police. So women often won't re report to the, to the police because they don't trust the police for personal reasons, or they want to protect black men uh, for, for, you know, obvious reasons. So, I think it's really important to, to talk about this because it, it is real. Mm -hmm. Even for those of, of our listeners who are maybe dating online, 
this is the time to be kind of hyper-vigilant about your personal safety because you are vulnerable and it, it's, a, it's a really scary time. It really sucks. Like, I mean, you just said the line, you are vulnerable and it sucks. It, it's disgusting. I hate that women are vulnerable just because they are women. You know, there are those who are, who are fighting this. There are those who are waking up and understanding as men that we have to be uh, lockstep alongside our sisters to protect them, to uplift them. Uh, realizing that it's not that women necessarily need help, but it's that they can't solve it alone. It has to be solved with men working alongside them. So look, you know, please. What I was about to say, patients, was, you know, women be careful, but I, I hate that I'm putting the onus on women, you know, so I don't even think I'm going to go there. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I, I, th- I think it's real. I think, like, when, when you're saying women be careful, that, that it's... I, I think it's valid advice. Like it, the the alternative to women being careful is is what like is women continuing to 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 die? Like <sighs> yeah, die, be swept up, like like all this this oh god. Just be careful. Be careful. Speaking of women, we've all been seeing Megan The Stallion in the news mm-hmm. with our fellow Canadian Bramptonian. Tory Lanes. Who? I I think it's worth talking about how amidst this racial revolution, black women are living in a catch-22 where they don't know whether to pick black or whether to pick being a woman or, or protecting their black identity or protecting their 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 womanness, their womanhood. And feeling really vulnerable on both fronts, I really like how you how you said who, because you know it it is quite embarrassing that Tory Lanez, first of all, is Canadian, is is from the, the the GTA, but it's also something that we need to come to terms with mm-hmm. that we don't do a good job in the GTA of regulating each other, of checking each other. There has been, you know, in, in addition to what we spoke about with, with uh, you know, the attempted kidnapping, there has kind of been a long history of, um, you know, women just being allowed to be treated any kind of way by um, some, some, some young people in our community. Mm-hmm. And this, what is happening between Meg Thee Stallion and Tory Lanez is not actually about the two of them. I agree a story that we've seen, right, Curtis? Over and over again, we've kind of seen Black women having to decide, okay, is this about me as an individual and this person as an individual? Or is this a a bigger thing? If I report him to the police and tell the police that he shot me two times, am I betraying Black men everywhere? Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I'm not saying mm-hmm, as in yes, she is. No, the hell she is not. And um, that definitely is the truth. It's, it's, it's a, it is a systemic problem within our community. It's really something I, I think everybody should be thinking about when I watch the videos and I, and I read the stories. I'm humbled by the magnificence of this problem. And by magnificent, I don't mean great. I mean large. It's a, it's a really large problem that while we as Black people are fighting for equity in a system that was designed to suppress and oppress us, 
at, at the same time, women have to, to really navigate when is it okay for me to be assaulted both sexually and, and otherwise um, to support this movement? The fact that women have to think about that. I mean, I, I, I remember this past week, I actually came across a video uh, from a prominent, um, I, I, he's, a, he's, a, he's a digital personality and I think he would be considered a poet. Um, black man, like if you see him, I don't know his name, but if you see him, you'll, you'll, you would have recognized him from other videos he's been doing for the past few years. And uh, what the content was about, he said, basically his message was black, or he asked the question, are black men, the white people of either the black community or are black men, white people to black women? Yeah. And he, he broke down why it, unfortunately, is the case. Many black men are holding their sisters down for a multitude of reasons. And, uh, you know, to me, it comes down to the hatred that's been put in them by our oppressors and, and all the pressure that has been cooked up over the past. Um, but look, it doesn't matter why it, it came to be. We need to fix it. We need to stop it. So, did you see the finally released police video from the racist idiot cop and Masai Ujiri? Yep. Yeah. I'm going to just read a post from my boy Chinadu of CE Clothers that I think captures this bullshit with Masai perfectly. And here's the quote. If there was ever a case for mandatory body cams, this is it. By the way, Officer Strickland, and he's being very kind calling him officer, filed a federal lawsuit against Ujiri, the Raptors, Maple Leafs Entertainment, and the NBA, alleging Ujiri shoved him so hard on the court that he suffered physical injuries to his head, jaw, chin, and teeth. In my head, as soon as I read that, I think of my parents saying, you want something to cry about? Strickland also filed a workers' compensation claim alleging Ujiri circumvented the security checkpoint and then tried to storm the court and hit him in the face and chest with both fists. Yeah. Strickland also claimed Ujiri had a violent predisposition and acted with an evil motive amounting to malice, according to his suit and workers' compensation claims. We've all seen the video, in my blood clot liar. I saw it time. I dot miss it. He's a liar. <laughs> and honestly, yeah, like, yeah, my, my friend um, Sabrina Razak wrote about it in the Globe and Mail this past week. And, and her angle was that, you know, money and influence cannot shield us from the power that whiteness yields, right? Quote, Mr. Ujiri's fight is an individual example of the systemic anti-Black racism that plagues all sports. Administrators take note. Recruiting Black players and presidents solves only one problem, hmm. representation. Black bodies deserve the right to safety and respect, period. She goes even further to say, quote, it is naive to think that this is the first time Mr. Ujiri has faced anti-Black racism in the sport world and beyond. You know, a funny question kind of came up. Um, anyway, somebody I know from Alberta, he asked me, do you think that if the officer, sorry, pig, <laughs> didn't make a stink out of it and try to make Ujiri the aggressor, would Masai 
have made a big deal out of this? And I, I'm curious about your answer. When he asked me that question, I think, you know what? The answer is no, he wouldn't have, not because he didn't think it would be a problem, but because at that time he would have probably thought it's not worth it. He can't win. Yep. Yep. Ujiri is not naive to the fact that he is operating in a white supremacist, anti-black racist society. He knows that one wrong move could, you know, jeopardize his status as, as the president of, of a team. even if it's against the janitor, even if it's against the head of security. So he probably would say, you're you're exactly right. It's not worth it. I think that he's thinking in my pursuit of justice for this particular moment, there are so many points at which this could go wrong. Mm -hmm. I, Curtis, I don't know how you feel about this, but I want to ask you, Mm. I I was surprised that they found the body cam. I thought that this is going to be another incident where they're like, oh, there's no body cam, there's no camera footage, because then it would have just been, you know, like each man's word against the, the other. But mm. this body cam is, it kind of gives me a little bit of hope that, oh, okay, so we're actually going to really talk about how deep this is, that the head of security or whoever Strickland is can, can do this to the, the, the president of a team. He was not head of security. He was an ignorant pig. He was a, he was a, he was a rent-a-cop. Yeah. Who has a history of insurance fraud. Um, or you mentioned that you're pretty encouraged because the video was released. It was released after a year. And I, I, I don't know the details, but I have to assume that the, the sheriff's department was, was holding onto that for as long as they could. Yep. But what, is, what, what doesn't give me hope is that even after the video was released, the same sheriff's department said, we still stand by our original story. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yep. How? Yo, How? the man pushed him with two hands, yo. How? Two hands. And wow. both, at both times, Ujiri did not aggress. He was like, what, what is going on? Honestly. Anyway. Wow. And you oh. work for, like, like what, what, I, what I sometimes find myself kind of stuck in is, these are people who work for the National Basketball Association, an, an, an association that is easily, easily, in terms of like its players, 80% black. Yeah, but we, we, we talked about the dynamics of the game last week, right? Yeah. Where less than half of, of white um, lovers of basketball support social justice yeah. initiatives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's, that's entirely at play here. And Anyway, I, I, I'm surprised. The sheriff, are you <laughs> kidding me, fam? <laughs> Speaking of the Raptors, Nick Nurse finally got the respect he deserves from the NBA. They finally put the respect on his name, and he earned it in a landslide. My guy is coach of the year. He received 91st place votes from a panel of 100 sports writers and broadcasters. He finished with 470 points. Shout outs to him. For this week's question for the audience, we're really curious about your take on the Tory Lanez, Mega The Stallion debacle we've shared our points of view but we're really curious to know if maybe there's something that we've overlooked or a piece of the story that you think is particularly important and uh you know i want to hear from those who uh who may be black conservatives we kind of touched on the concept that you know blackness and conservatism don't necessarily go and go hand in hand but if you think we're wrong tell us we'd love to hear from you 
Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. Black people, you know this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs. I'm on Instagram at Patience E. And I'm on Instagram at State of Vermont. See y'all next time. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Stephen Fissett, who graciously provided artwork for this podcast. If you like what you see, you can find him on Instagram at Scarborough Debutante. That's Scarborough, D-E-B-U-T-A-N-T-E, for all your graphic design needs. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.